Welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. This is the time in our church service where we hear what's called a Bible talk. If you're visiting, uh, this is an opportunity for you to hear what God has to say about different aspects of life. And today, I have my good friend Andrew here. Everyone say hi to Andrew. Hello. And Andrew's going to come closer to the microphone. There we go. Great. Um, This is off the cuff, Mm. so we'll see how we go. Okay. So, Andrew, what's your full name? Andrew William Laird. Oh, okay. Yeah. Married? Married to Carly, yeah, married for uh, 14 years this year. She's not yeah. here, so you <laughs> can say whatever you want and we'll believe you. <laughs> um, do you have kids? We've got three kids, yeah, uh, Jemima who is seven, uh, Elliot who's four and a half and Bryony who is two, so girl, boy, girl. Where, where do you guys live again? So we live around Paran, which is, uh, I'm at church there ordinarily of a Sunday, an Anglican church in Paran. We won't hold that against you, it's good. It's good. Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, Andrew, like you wear a few hats. Um, so tell us some of the hats in regards to your Monday to Friday, I guess. What, what do you do? Sure. Um, the main hat I wear is uh, I work full-time for an organisation called City Bible Forum. Uh, so City Bible Forum is a national organisation, uh, works out of seven of the capital cities around Australia. And our, our uh, purpose is to reach the world through the workplace with the good news of Jesus. So recognising that for many people... Uh, their, their daily work is uh, where they spend most of their waking hours. So helping them see that as a place of mission and uh, equipping them and empowering them and encouraging them to live out their faith in that context and, uh, and share Jesus in that context too. Yeah, and so what, what does that look like if it was during the week, if people were interested to check that out? Sure. So uh, the, with City Bible Forum, I run a particular program called Life at Work. So I focus especially on... Uh, particularly Christians who are in the workplace, thinking about how their Christian faith connects with their daily work. Um, And do that in a variety of different ways. We run events mostly in the city, but around the place as well too, and try and produce a bunch of resources and materials and books and things like that that that, uh, give Christians a chance to sort of think through really the nitty-gritty of how does my faith shape that aspect of, uh, of my work life that I'm dealing with today. Have you, have you got like a short story or something because it goes into your sermon time? So what, is there a story that comes to mind when someone has gone, okay, here's my faith, here's my workplace, and then you guys are doing what you do and, and they all of a sudden go, oh, I can actually do that. Is, is there a story that comes to mind that sticks out to you? Yeah. Um, look, there's a number of stories of where people have kind of joined, joined the dots. Um, for those who've perhaps seen it as completely removed from from what they might do on a Sunday and then seeing that integration which is, which is, uh, which is really exciting. had a young guy recently who was at a dinner that we held uh, in July who just said he had no concept of how his, what it meant for him to be a Christian, anything outside of Sunday and now he had some concept of that so that's exciting. But I mean one guy who um, uh, I regularly meet with uh, to, to pray with uh, about his work um, it sounds so simple in some ways, but he was saying that the, the biggest thing that he feels like he has learned or been challenged on uh, in the last five years when it comes to being a Christian in the workplace is uh, getting up from his desk and going and having lunch with colleagues, which is such a small thing in so many ways, but he said he had really never been challenged to think about uh, those people that he worked with and trying to, seeking to develop a relationship with them, love them, get to hear their story, get to know them, and also share his story of faith with them as well too. So, I mean, that's something we've done. We, one of the big things we do, and it sounds so simple, is just encourage people to get out of the office or get out of their workplace and have a meal or have a coffee with a colleague. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Well, Andrew's um, going to speak to us now through uh, the Bible and um, I'm going to pray for Andrew. Um, but also for those of you who are interested, you, some of you would have received an email from me and you're probably thinking, oh no, which email? Uh, or some of you probably just ignored it, which is fine, I won't hold that against you. Um, probably a little bit. But um, <laughs> Andrew's been kind enough to extend his time. So this afternoon, about 12.45, we're all going to head across to the portable there. Some of you are already coming. Uh, Andrew wants to run a seminar called How to Be a Public Christian in an Israel Folau World. So it's a hot topic. You've probably been asked that question. I got asked that yesterday at a family dinner by uh, a relative of mine who um, doesn't know the Lord. His dad came up to me and said, so, you're a minister, what do you think about this Israel Folau stuff? Uh, and we had a wonderful conversation. You can ask me later after lunch how that went. Um, so if you're interested in that, some of you would have received an email. There's going to be a light lunch provided. Come along uh, if you want to be part of that seminar. It's going to be 12.45. We want to go to about 2 or just after. It would be great to have you there. But Andrew, can I pray for you, yeah, thank you. and pray for us? Jesus, we want to thank you for uh, the power of the gospel. And as we've been travelling as a church, I understand the gospel. It's not just this one-time message, but it's a constant reminder and the power that reminds us even in seasons of great pressure, challenges, wherever we are at. So would you settle our hearts and minds now as you speak to us through your word, through your servant Andrew. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd empower him. He cause us to be still and we walk away knowing more of the Saviour to live in this world for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks. Well, I thank you again for uh, inviting me to join uh, you this morning. I think Shabu's probably shared with you that uh, this morning, thinking uh, topically about a particular issue, and that is uh, the demands, the challenges, and the pressures of, of all of life, but in particular those that might occur in the context of our, of our work life and, and how the Christian faith, how the gospel helps us handle uh, the pressures and the demands of life and in particular work. And so, that's, uh, so rather than perhaps your normal practice of, of, uh, of working through a particular passage of the Bible, I'm going to be jumping around at a, at a couple of different passages and exploring uh, what scripture might say for us and help us in, in that particular aspect of our life. Um, so that's where, that's where we're heading, um, heading this morning. But to begin, I just want to uh, ask a question of you, and that is, I, I wonder if you have ever been in the back of an ambulance before. Uh, if you have, you'll know that you are rarely there for a good reason. Uh, I found myself in the back of an ambulance uh, once, and uh, it is a place that I hope not to be again anytime soon. The reason I was there... Uh, was a suspected heart attack. Uh, But after six hours of what I could only describe as the best medical care you could possibly ask for, uh, the doctors came back and they had a diagnosis for me. My heart was in perfect working order. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. Uh, But as I said, you rarely end up in the back of an ambulance because everything's going okay. On the contrary, the doctors had a different diagnosis for me, that what I thought was a heart attack was actually my body and my mind saying, enough is enough. I was burnt out from the demands, from the, profession, from the pressures of uh, years of driving and pushing myself far too hard in terms of my daily work. I was, uh, I was burnt out from being under pressure from the demands of work for far too long. 
And as I said just a moment ago, that's, that's really what I want us to explore t- together, something that many of us feel um, to varying degrees throughout life, being overworked, stressed out, anxious, busy, tired, being under pressure. And particularly for, for many of us, the pressures of life, the things that can squeeze in on us, often do come through our daily work. But just to clarify, when I use the word work, I don't want you to think that I'm talking only about those jobs or activities that we might leave our house to go and do and someone pays us to do it. Uh, That's normally how our culture thinks about work exclusively. Uh, I think the Bible talks about work far more broadly than just activity we get paid to do. Uh, I think of work also in terms of the work that many of us might do full-time around the home, raising children or caring for others, Uh, the work of being a student, Uh, the voluntary work and activities that we might do uh, in retirement. So when I talk about work, and in particular the pressures of work, I'm talking about it far more broadly in that kind of broad sense. And given what I've just shared in these first couple of moments about myself and, and my experience from burning out from the pressures of work, Uh, there is something that you might be thinking at this moment. Uh, This is something I'd be thinking if I were you at the moment. And that is, why on earth would we listen to you about this topic? Uh, If there is one person in this room who clearly doesn't know how to handle the pressures of work, it's me. Uh, My inability to handle them put put me in the back of an ambulance. But that afternoon there were two people in the back of the ambulance. There was me, a patient, and there was also a paramedic. And when you're in a time of crisis, you need a paramedic, someone who's got the expertise to know, okay, this is what I think is going on here and this is what we should do to fix the problem. But a patient brings something to the equation as well too. Whereas the paramedic brings expertise, The patient brings empathy. They know what it is like to be in that situation firsthand. Two years ago, I actually wrote a book on this whole topic of being under pressure and how the the gospel helps us handle the pressures of work. And really, when I was writing that book, I was writing primarily as a paramedic, trying to bring some biblical expertise and apply it to the, the problem at hand. But as I talk with you and share with you this morning, uh, I speak much more now as a, as a patient. And if you are feeling the demands and the pressures and the burdens of life weighing heavy on you, can I say I understand. I understand far too well. But the good news that I want to share with us this morning and remind us of really is that there is hope. There is hope in the gospel. And it's that hope that I, I trust we might know uh, something afresh of in our time together now this morning. But before I turn to that, just specifically, I want to just unpack what do I mean by the pressures of life, by that word pressure. Um, if you were to pull a dictionary out and, and look up that word, a, a simple dictionary definition would probably have something along the lines of being squeezed by something outside of you whether it's a circumstance or a situation or another, another person. Pressure in a dictionary is often defined as something external to us. And when we talk about the pressures and the demands and the challenges of life, uh, very often we'll also speak of them exclusively in 
negative terms. They're a bad thing. So often when we speak about pressure, we think of something external to us, pressing in on us, and it's a negative thing. Now, both of those things are true, but I don't think they give the full, certainly biblical, picture of how we should think about the pressures of life. Rather, when you come to Scripture, you can, you'll see that the pressures of life are both external and internal, and that the pressures and the demands and the challenges of life can be both a negative thing, but also a good thing for us as well. Recently, I was pumping up a football for my son, and at the spot where you insert the needle into the ball were the words, recommended pressure. It's an acknowledgement that there is, a, there is a good, right amount of pressure that we need in life, that that football needs. Not enough pressure, and it's limp and it can't be kicked. Too much pressure, and it explodes. And it's like that with a lot of things in life. You apply the right amount of pressure, a good amount of pressure, to produce something very good. You get orange juice by putting pressure on an orange. And a lump of coal, when it's under the right amount of pressure, turns into a diamond. So pressure is not inherently bad. In fact, the right amount can be very good for us. And neither should we think of pressure exclusively as something which is external to us. It's just something other people or other things put on us. As I'll share in just a moment now, some of the pressures of life that we might face might be self-inflicted, self-imposed. In fact, that's uh, particularly what I want to do with you now. Think about, uh, for me, what has been a key pressure in my story of burning out. Uh, And that is not an external pressure, something that other people were putting on me, but an internal pressure, something I was putting on myself. But then how being in that situation of being under enormous pressure God can use to produce great good. So whereas we think often of pressure in terms of something external to us and a bad thing, this morning I particularly want to just think about pressure that comes from within us that we put on ourselves and actually how God can use it as a good thing. That's where we're going. And what is that pressure that is particularly significant in my story? There's a pressure I like to call the pressure to have it all. The pressure to have it all. I wonder if you've, uh, when you've been walking down a supermarket aisle any time recently, just, just paused and just taken a moment to, uh, to take in the enormous range of products in that aisle. After work recently, I was uh, ducking out to uh, grab some yogurt for some the kids on the way home and um, I just found myself before this wall of yogurt and just felt overwhelmed by, by the choice. Uh, there was low fat, there was no fat, there was full of fat, there was chocolate, there was strawberry, there was banana, there was vanilla. Just, just the diversity of, of choice that there was before me and all I wanted was just a tub of yogurt for the kids. Um, it's, it's a reflection of the time that we live in in Australia is a time of enormous wealth. We live in a really wealthy time and in a really wealthy country, globally speaking and historically speaking. And one of the fruits of that wealth is that we have a wealth of options. There are so many different things for us to experience and enjoy in a country like Australia. But with that diversity of options comes a particular pressure. That is the pressure to have it all. 
One writer, not a Christian, puts it like this. He says, having it all has become a widespread aspiration in Western society. Now, my supermarket example is sort of trivial, trivial in some ways, but this pressure to have it all plays itself out every day in our lives in little and in big ways uh, in terms of our social experiences. Uh, in the city of Melbourne, where I, where I work in the CBD, there is a new cafe opening every single week that I just have to try. Uh, each weekend, I did this yesterday, I read the book reviews section in The Age and uh, find another six titles that I really have to add to my must-read list. Uh, a friend of mine, she just returned from a holiday in the South Pacific, an island that I'd never heard of, and now all of a sudden there was this new must-travel-to destination that I needed to add to my, my growing list of all these places that I really want to see in the world. The pr- there is a pressure to have it all because there are just so many good things for us to enjoy in a city like Melbourne, in a country like Australia come to the workplace and the very same sort of pressure exists. There's no end of options to grow or develop our careers, enrol in an MBA, a master's degree, a PhD, open a second store, take on another client, add another skill to your toolkit, retrain for a different type of work, write another journal article, you name the type of work and whatever type of work it is, each one has its options to expand. And with that comes the pressure to have it all. And the same pressures exist uh, around the home as well too. Particularly for those of us who are parents uh, with children, we can very easily apply this pressure to them. There is no end of extracurricular activities that we could enrol our kids in after school or on weekends, is there? Piano or painting, science or soccer, diving or dance, and then if you do choose dance, then then which type? Uh, Ballet, contemporary jazz. Um, this is just a hypothetical. It's not as though it's something we're trying to work through personally at the moment with our seven-year-old daughter. There is a pressure to have it all for ourselves and we can put it on our kids as well too because there is so many good things to enjoy, so many options for us. I'm going to be honest with you. It is this pressure, the pressure to have it all, that I think has driven and motivated a large portion of my working life. It's why I added part-time study to full-time employment, Uh, why I continually added writing another article or running another event or speaking at another church to my diary. And if I'm going to be really honest, I think it's ultimately the, the motivation that drove me to the point of ending up in the back of the ambulance that day. Now, ironically, it was the pressure to have it all that drove me to write a book all about how the gospel helps us handle the pressures of work. And so how do we handle this pressure to have it all? What what answers does our culture give us? Well, there are several. Uh, Here's one from uh, an author by the name of Roman Krasnarek in his book, How to Find Fulfilling Work. He says, Having it all doesn't mean you must have it all at the same time. Stretch your ambition to have it all over an extended time span. So his advice is don't give up that ambition that you have to have it all. Just be realistic and just try and have it all over the course of your life. Um, Others perhaps say, well, you know, could try and do that. Well, let's just try and narrow it down a little bit. I can't have it all, but what is the all that I really must have if I'm going to get to the end of my life and say, yes, I've lived a full and satisfying life? And hence the bucket list. 
a, a widespread Western phenomenon that accompanies the, the widespread Western aspiration to have it all. But whether it's spreading, having it all out across the course of a lifetime or just reducing the all that I really have to have just down to the, the bucket list essentials, the heart of the problem still hasn't been addressed. Or perhaps to put it better, the heart problem hasn't been addressed. What is that heart problem? Another author, uh, not a Christian again, by the name of Matt Haig, uh, wrote last year a book called Notes on a Nervous Planet and in it he, he writes this. It's very honest. He says, I often worry about a lack and I worry about how I can fill it. I often sense a metaphorical void inside me that I have at various times in my life tried to fill with all kinds of stuff. Alcohol, partying, tweets, prescription drugs, recreational drugs, exercise, food, work, popularity, travel, spending money, earning more money, getting published that of course haven't fully worked. The things I have thrown in the hole have often just deepened the hole. Friends, there is a hole that we all have, isn't there, that another career success, another holiday, another gadget, another relationship, another success for our kids is not going to fill. Even though we try and fill that hole with those things. And we get very, 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 very busy adding all of these things to our diaries and our calendars. Trying to fill that hole with these these things, when you and I know that there is ultimately only one, isn't there, who can who can truly fill that hole? The uh, theologian Augustine famously wrote, "Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee." You know, our restless, busy, anxious hearts are never going to be satisfied by having it all or even having all of the bucket list essentials that we might have made for ourselves. And yet we can put ourselves under enormous pressure trying to gain the world, as Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. When ultimately our hearts are only ever going to find rest and satisfaction in the one who made us, the one who knows us, the one who has died for us. I've got a confession to make. I'm probably not going to tell you anything new this morning that you don't already know. No, no secret wisdom that I've found somewhere on page 678 in the Bible that was just buried there that no one had found before. No, no secret wisdom in Scripture for how the Bible helps us handle the pressures of life and work in particular. No, on the contrary. Rather, this morning is about reminding us of things that we already know well the truths of the gospel, because we are so prone to forgetfulness, aren't we? You know, when every day the air that you are breathing is that Western aspiration to have it all, you need to occasionally, or probably even frequently, stop and be reminded of the the futility of that aspiration. Because if you're in Christ, you already have it all. Here are two verses that I love that particularly remind me of this truth and that I use to 
to preach to myself to remind myself of that truth. The first is from Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, where the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist says, There is nothing in earth that can satisfy me like you do, Lord. You are even better than life itself. I find that profoundly challenging and confronting at times when I think about that. The psalmist is able to say, even if my very life, my health, is taken away from me, I'm still complete and full and satisfied because I have intimate relationship with the God who made me, the God of the universe. Or another verse that I love that reminds me of this, Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. There the writer says, Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I, I love that verse, the simplicity of it. The instruction, it's just so simple, isn't it? Be satisfied. How? How can I be satisfied when the world is constantly telling me to gain the world? By remembering this, I will never leave you or forsake you. Not only is God all satisfying, as the psalmist says, my portion forever, but for those in Christ, you have him with you always and forever. His continual presence by his spirit. Friends, don't underestimate how good and fulfilling and satisfying that is. That the God of the universe, the one who made you, is present with you always by his spirit. There is nothing that you go into in life without him there with you in it. That hole that we all have is never empty when he is always present with us, filling it. There is a peace that comes from meditating upon a truth like this. I have the presence of the living God with me right now. I don't need this thing. I don't need that experience. I don't need that career success for my life to be any richer than it already is. Not pressure, but peace that comes from meditating upon the constant presence of God. As I said a moment ago, I, uh, these are not new things, I suspect, for most of us here. They're, they're reminders of old truths and yet we do need to be reminded of them so frequently. And so let me encourage you to, if you don't already, just build into the habit of your day um, opportunities and occasions to remind yourself of truths like this. Um, another verse that I love is, is what God the Father says to God the Son at his baptism where God the Father says to Jesus, This is my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And I take those words and know that for me who's in Christ because of his death and resurrection that what God the Father says to the Son, God the Father says to me too. My status is the same as Christ's status. And so I regularly of a morning, uh, often in the shower or on the tram on the way to work, remind myself, who am I? I am a child of God. 
because of Christ I am loved by him and he is pleased with me. There's nothing else I need to gain from this day. There's nothing else I need to gain from this world when I have all of that already in who I am in Christ. Friends, remind yourself of these truths each day and go out into it and living, live in the fullness of life as we've been hearing about already this morning that you already have in Christ rather than chasing for, chasing for more. A friend called me recently and uh, he just shared with me how, how stressed out he had been the last few months with work and I, uh, I listened to him for a little while and then eventually um, I asked him a fairly pointed question. I said to him, what portion of the pressure that you're feeling under right at the moment would you say is self-inflicted? And he uh, paused for a moment and then very honestly said, you know what, most of it I think. As I said a few moments ago, we often think of pressure exclusively in external terms and it's not a wrong way to think about it. Uh, There are pressures and there are demands of life that other people can put on us. Um, But let me encourage you to this morning at least ponder that question that that I asked this friend of mine. What pressure that you feel and experience in life might be be self-inflicted? Might be flowing from a pressure to have it all that you're unnecessarily placing yourself and as a consequence the people that you love around you under as well so pressure can come externally to us but as I've been reflecting now particularly the internal pressures that we might put on ourselves and trying to chase after all the things that this world is offering um, and I want to say very plainly that don't for a minute hear me saying that any demands or challenges or pressures you might experience in life are exclusively because of your own, uh, the way you have uh, put those um, pressures on yourself. Uh, Not for a minute am I saying that. Uh, There are demands, as I say, that come from outside us. Uh, There are other ways that the Christian faith helps us um, handle those but rather than exploring some of those perhaps external pressures, really where I want to land and, and, and finish in these few moments now is think about another way of thinking about pressure that we rarely think about and that is how it can actually be good for us, the challenges and the demands of life. You know, we live again in a, in a culture, in a country that resists pain and, and difficulty. You know, whereas previous generations did actually have a concept of thinking about suffering where they could see uh, some, some good that could be worked perhaps through it. Uh, we live in a time and a place where there is no uh, concept of, of thinking about suffering and hardship and pain and difficulty like that. As we live in a, a hedonistic culture driven by pleasure, driven by trying to have it all and enjoy it all. And so pain in, in a city like Melbourne is something that we try and avoid at all costs. And so pressure, hard stuff in life, we only ever view it in negative terms. And yet that is profoundly at odds with how the Bible talks about the hard things of life, the challenges of life, the pressures of life. Where frequently in scripture, suffering and difficulty is often for our good. That, that God frequently uses the right amount of pressure in our life to mould us and refine us and make us more like Christ. 
That is a, a dominant theme in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. And if you've got a Bible handy there, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul unpacks this a little bit. In those opening few verses of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about knowing the comfort of God when life is difficult so that he can then make known that comfort to others. The pressures of life, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, have taught him empathy, have taught him how to comfort others when they are going through similar trials and difficulties. But then he goes on in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians and he says these words. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raised the dead. You know, those, those verses were um, personally extraordinarily helpful for me. Uh, deep uh, in the wake of having, of having burnt out from the pressures and the demands of work and life. Uh, I, was in a, I was in a situation where so worn down and burnt out I had become that I, I wondered if I could ever actually work again. Such was the, such was the extent of the, uh, the burnout that I had experienced. And it was in, deep in that overwhelm, that I read these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And they, they just felt like they were describing me in that moment. Under great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure such pressure that it feels like there's no way out of how this difficult season of life that I am in at the moment. It doesn't feel like this season of life is ever going to end. Um, pressure that honestly can feel like the sentence of death. And then come those next words that Paul says here. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. What if you're under pressure for a purpose, for a reason, for good? What if the pressures of life that you and I experience might have been perfectly ordained by a heavenly Father who loves you with the same love that he has for his Son, who even allows at times the pressures and the demands and the burdens of life to feel so heavy upon us that they feel like a death sentence. So that in that seeming death sentence we might encounter him afresh and, and actually find him to be stronger and better than we have ever known him to be before in our life teaching us to give up every last ounce of self-dependence and independence and give every moment of every day, of every task into his hands. All of our striving over to him. For me personally, that's what I feel like he used my pressure and burnout to do for me. And he might well 
work through the challenges and the difficulties of life to do the same for you. Because look at how the verse ends there. The pressure feels like a death sentence, but it's not. Paul writes, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We hope in a God who raises the dead, that where there is death, into that he speaks and brings life. This is the God that we hope in. And he can and he will raise us too from the the death sentences that we might feel like we are under at times in life, from the challenges and burdens of life. Ultimately, of course, he will do that in his coming kingdom where there will be no more crying or mourning or pain or suffering. Friends, that is, that is a tremendous hope, I hope you can see, <laughs> that in the midst of pressure, in the midst of challenge, we have this hope in a God who raises the dead and works great good through all things for, for us and for his glory. It's a great hope and that is a hope that you are never, ever going to get from a culture that avoids and resists pain and difficulty and suffering at all costs. A hope that, uh, that you, a culture that is chasing after it all, trying to experience it all, that's a hope a culture like that can never provide for us. But that is a real hope that the scripture holds out to us. But it also holds out not just to us, but it holds it out also to those family, friends, neighbours, colleagues who themselves are, one way or the other, at one point or another, experiencing the pressures and the demands and the burdens of life. It's a hope, not just for us, but it's a hope that we hold out to the world as well too because when our lives are animated by this hope, then that will be seen by those around us. And as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we'll be able to give reason for the hope that we have. And this is not a hope just for us this morning. This is a hope that should so animate our lives that we're able to hold it out to those who are in a situation of hopelessness. There's one writer who, uh, who describes pressure like this. It's a priceless grace. Well, that is profoundly countercultural. And even as a Christian person, I find that kind of description of pressure as a little bit confronting at times too. And yet, that is the truth of the difficulties and the pressures and the burdens of life. They, they are, in God's economy, a priceless grace that he uses these things to wean us off our love of good things but not ultimate things to wean us off the the pleasures of this world and give us a deeper, deeper dependence and trust and love for him that in his mercy he he works in that way for for our good and ultimately for his glory. And so I pray that that might be how you view uh, the difficulties and the challenges and the pressures of life, as a priceless grace from God, resting in him, the one who is all-satisfying, meditating on the fact that he is present with us always by his spirit and hoping in the one who will work all things for 
our good and ultimately for his glory. So why don't I pray to that end for us. Father, navigating this life is not always easy. In fact, it's uh, living in a, in a fallen world. It's inevitable that we will experience challenges and pressures and burdens. Many of those will uh, come from outside of us and yet many as well we might place on ourselves as we breathe this air of our culture and start chasing the things that those around us might be chasing. Good things that you've given us to enjoy and give thanks to you for but things that can never fill that longing and that hole that we all have. And so we give thanks to you for Christ and for the life that we have in him, his presence with us always and how good that is and how deeply satisfied we can be in him. We give thanks for hope that the gospel that we have is a gospel of hope and that is a tremendous thing when life is hard. Lord, would you animate each one of our lives with that hope that it just might radiate from each one of us so that as we go into our places of work, as we interact with family, as neighbours and friends, that those who don't know you might be uh, unable to avoid the hope that we have in our lives that radiates from us so that we might be able to hold that hope that we have found in you out to a world that desperately needs you. We pray this for your glory. Amen.